Don't let your house be broken into is the title of the message this morning. I have a few texts. Rather than points, you'll just see some texts that I want to work through. The first of which is Ephesians 5, verses 8 through 17. I touched on this in my Christian ed class in a bit of a series, and I said to them, I'm going to rework this, and I want to present it on a Sunday, and they all gave me their, we voted, and they gave me their approval that I could do this. Ephesians 5, 8 to 17. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Just to highlight, you were darkness, you are light. This is not just talking about you used to do bad things, now you do good things. That's your deeds. This is your identity. You, you were. There's a, there was something deep inside of us that was fundamentally flawed. You were darkness, even if you were a nice person. And, and you, you are light. You are light in the Lord. There's been a, a transformation of identity Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. So this, isn't, this is different from just morality, keeping laws, being a good... What's, what is pleasing to the Lord? 11. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. So... Take no part. That means don't, don't do those things. But that is not the end of the role. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead, see this verb? Expose them. That's different from just not doing it. There's, there's a light that has to be shined. Twelve. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. And now we get to this. And therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, this quote, and arise from the dead. And Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making, making the best use of time. It's limited for all of us. Whether Jesus comes back tomorrow or in a thousand years, we, we don't get much time. Use it. Use time making the best use of time because, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish. So this ties in somehow with that. It's a kind of sleep. Don't be foolish. But understand what the will of the Lord is. Let's pray. All of our singing and all of our worship, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just come now and, and settle, settle on this congregation.
we all, we all came to church today. There must have been some reason. Hopefully the reason was we want so much for your grace and your mercy to touch our hearts in living and fresh ways. Our transformation is not complete and this service was a way in which you can do that. So, Holy Spirit, settle on this congregation, awaken careless people, warm, praiseless people, draw our hearts, draw our hearts toward your throne in adoration and worship and obedience. Use your word toward that end, I pray. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. It's important to note the context of verse 14. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And so the words, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, it, it, it could easily lead us to think that Paul is talking about the unredeemed, people who don't know Jesus, people who don't know the Lord, unsaved, whatever term you want to use. But, but the rest of the verses won't, and the reason I read a big chunk, is those verses won't allow that interpretation to stand. From, from all the verses we read, Paul is clearly addressing members of the church at Ephesus, Christian people, people like Don Horban, people like you. These are the people who apparently are sleepish and, and need to wake up. These are the people who, who aren't alert to things that stare them in the face. In other words, they're, they're kind of, they're not bad people. Uh, they're not necessarily immoral people. They're, they're numb. They're a bit numb to things that they should be keenly sensitive to if they're going to keep growing in Christ. And so Paul is addressing a very particular problem in this text. There's a, there's a lulling to sleep that just happens over time with believing people such as we. These people to whom Paul wrote, they, they were apparently drowsy. They had become accustomed to, to the lifelessness the confusion, the darkness, the apathy of the world in which they lived. They didn't, they didn't find the tone of the culture, the environment they were in, they didn't find it disturbing anymore. They didn't find it that unusual anymore. There were Christians who had become at home with the things that grieved the Lord. Think about that. They, they, they would go to movies, they would see things on Netflix, and they would laugh at things that Jesus would weep over. They would find normal things that the Spirit of God would be brokenhearted over. And they were Christians. 
And so Paul warns of a kind of, a kind of lullaby of our environment. And, he, and, he, and he's trying to make these Christians feel the, the weight, uh, the exertion of the world's pull on their lives. There's, there's this constant pull of sleepiness against which the Holy Spirit wants to flex all of his strength in his word, in our minds. So the Spirit and the Word combine to summon our attention to the kind of gnawing, addictive climate of carelessness and indifference. That's where our text comes in. Paul says, wake up, dawn. Arise out of that. That's obvious, but there's something else. There's, there's a right way and a wrong way to wake up from apathy and accommodation. And the church frequently, I grew up, the church frequently missed this. As though we would arouse ourselves just in the sense of, of, of moving away from the world. Isolation from the world around us. And so... Paul says, no, I'm not calling you to retreat. There's a kind of exposing that the light has to do. That's the word he uses in the text. You can't just retreat from everything in this world. Could easily be argued. Could easily be argued that in a a pursuit of holiness, a confused pursuit of holiness, the church has spent a lot of its time just backing up and retreating. Paul's call is a bit more aggressive than that. So he's, he's calling us to an awareness of two things. I, I, I pointed them out. The shortness of time and the depth of the darkness. Those are the two things. The time and the darkness. The days are evil. That's Paul's reason for the reminder about both the shortness of time and the nature of the darkness. He he does that probably most clearly in 15 and 16. Look carefully then at how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. So we should be stirred to note that a church as renowned and as prominent as the church at Ephesus This was not some little house church anymore. As renowned and prominent as the church at Ephesus needed to hear the Spirit's wake-up call. This is where Timothy was the pastor. And that holds out a warning to us that we're not above this danger. Past blessings provide no defense to present spiritual slumber and compromise. Now, that's the summons of this text. That's a quick flyover. That's what we just did. Paul's summons in our opening text. Christians, you you, you need to wake up. Wake up! And so I, I, I started just rummaging through different texts, and I was fascinated of the other reminders in the Bible to the kind of things that can happen if we don't heed this call to be constantly reawakened, 
to the time and the darkness in which we live. Here are some of the things that happen to people in the New Testament while they're sleeping. Point number one, Matthew 13. Matthew 13, 24 to 26. Jesus is the speaker. He put another parable before them saying, he's talking about the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. While his men were, see it? Sleeping, an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. Don't you love the way our Lord could tell a simple story that a five-year-old could understand and then draw a truth big enough for the whole world? Simple story about a farmer. Farmer goes out, like all farmers do, and he puts some seed in the ground. And then we stumble on this idea. While his men, so this was a big farm, the guy had people working for him. While his, while his men slept, an enemy came onto the property and sowed weeds. We don't know why he did it a grudge or something, but he sowed weeds on the same plot of land. And here's the point. The enemy had a chance to do something he would not have been able to do had the men not been sleeping, right? That's the problem. Problem isn't the enemy. They could have stopped the enemy. Problem was they were sleeping. Notice all the enemy had to do was plant a tiny little seed. It's almost imperceptible. You'd have to look hard to see it. The text actually says that single tiny step from the enemy was enough. In fact, after that initial step, so our text says, the enemy didn't even have to hang around. So, So sure was he of the future germination of that bad seed that he... 25, he just went away. He comes, he does it, and he goes. Satan is less busy with your life than you think. He knows he doesn't have to be. All he has to do is sow some things that will grow almost all by themselves. It wasn't until much later down the road, after the result of the evil sowing sprouted through the soil, that the farmer realized, hey, We've been sabotaged here. Now, there's a message for many people. People who say they do love Jesus. People who do sing and praise and acknowledge the blessedness of eternal life and the forgiveness of sin. But people who are never going to see the full measure of what God could bring to fruition in their lives. What they could become as disciples of Christ is, 
because through their own sleepiness to the danger of the time and the darkness of the culture in which they live, so many weeds and thorns and little things are going to start growing in their lives that will choke out God's plan for what he has for them. They're sleeping. Just so a bit here and there. Again, nobody noticed. This is the point. Nobody noticed the sowing work of the enemy while it was happening. That, that's the point to take home from church. Nobody noticed the sowing work of the enemy while it was happening. Nobody noticed. Nobody saw it taking place. The danger, the danger it's, it's almost imperceptible. I mean, seeds are always so tiny, so insignificant looking. The weeds never look that different from the grain at first. And, and the point is made so striking in Jesus' story. Notice this. The servants of the master, verse 27, the servants of the master don't even know where the weeds came from. They were sleeping, right? <laughs> and look at verse 27. They, they go. The servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did, did you not sow good seed in the field? How does it have weeds? What in the world? Where'd those weeds come from? We didn't see any weeds. They don't know how the weeds got there. They were not alert to how the weeds got there. That's three so far. Look at your phone, people. They don't know how the weeds got there. They weren't alert to how it happened. And I just, I just want to ask... Does that describe you? Not sure how my life got so gummed up. I don't know how I don't know how it happened. I come into church and I feel so far from Jesus. I don't know how that happened. I don't know how it happened, but I just can't I can't seem to get interested in the Bible anymore. I don't know how that happened. It's a huge concept. Do you have an understanding of where the rest of your life comes from? You know the things you love, but do you know why you love the things you love? Do you just see the results of your life with no awareness of the source of those results? The servants. How did this happen? Your life is springing from somewhere. It comes from something. Stuff gets sown into your mind. It happens when you're not thinking about it. Stuff gets sown into your heart. It happens when you're not looking at it. Do you know where these things come from? Or are you asleep? While big chunks of your life are being formed. Are you turning the seeding of your life over to the enemy without thinking about it? And here's why that's a very smart question to ask. 
All seeds look small at first. Everything. Whether sowing to the spirit or sowing to the flesh. Whether for good or for evil. Whether godly or devilish. Everything. Everything looks inconsequential at first. The beginnings of everything. Godly or devilish. Seem too little to really affect the life very much. And that's why most people give too little attention to what's being sown in their life. It includes the things of the Spirit. We sang that song. Open the nations. Pour out your Spirit. How do you look at the, how do you look at the arrival of the kingdom of God into your life? See, there will come a time when it'll break in like that when Jesus comes again. But not now. That's not how the kingdom of God comes. The kingdom of God doesn't come into your life like a roller coaster now. It comes, it comes with sowing, all sorts of little things. No single day of devotions looks life-changing, does it? Certainly no single church service seems to be able to save a marriage or a family. No single time of prayer seems to solve all of life's trials. No, no. See, that's never the way sowing works. Benefits and blessings as well as dangers are always gradual. They're always incremental. Here's another text. Matthew 24, 43 and 44. Jesus, again, is the speaker. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, here it is, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So Jesus tells this story, and he uses it to illustrate the surprise element of the second coming. That's what he's talking about. He's stressing the need for watchfulness. He's stretching the need for, stressing the need for alertness. In the same way that Paul did in Ephesians 5.14, Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. I just want to be as, I don't know, simple and direct about Jesus' words here as I can. Jesus says, if the owner of the house had known the hour of the night when the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. He would not have let his house be broken into. Here's some, here's some passion at that point. Your, your house, your home, the, 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 things, the things you hold most dear and precious. 
So ultimately, this shattering of our routines, our securities, our schedules, it's going to take place when Jesus comes again. That's the point. And that's because sleepy people can't become alert people at the last minute. I mean, we form habits in our lives, and then that sowing forms us, shapes us. It's unavoidable. You can't just unsow things at the last minute. You have to be careful during the process. Consider the things that break into our houses, our homes, while we sleep. Consider the things that creep with stealth and with darkness right into the fabric of our families and, and, just, and just in subtle, almost unobservable, usually not even considered ways crowd out the fabric of righteousness and the voice of the Spirit and the rule of God's Word and the potential that could be there under Christ. There's lots of times, lots of times I come home and Rainey will look at me and she'll say, oh, you, you've been talking to people about their marriages and about this and that, haven't you? It's incredibly grieving to see close up points where the enemy breaks into many homes. And people who are humble and wise enough to come and deal with their situations quickly and openly, they usually come to see that it didn't just happen overnight. Honest people usually see that. They see that somewhere along the way there was a sleepiness to certain dangers, certain desires, certain attitudes that were all left too long because nobody saw where they were going. Who, who put these weeds here anyway? We don't know. Where did those seeds come from? Consider alertly the things that break into our houses while we sleep. How careful are you about the entertainment you allow into your living room? We had this happen, I'll just personally, Rini and I, um, last night or the night before. I shouldn't have started down this road because I'll get the details wrong and I'll hear about it all the way home. Last night or the night before, we were, we were watching a show that she had read a review on and it was a streamed thing on Acorn TV and she had read a review and we thought, well, that looks like the kind of thing we could enjoy. And it's a series. So on we go, we click on it, we watch, we watch, we watch and we get about... Ten minutes into it, and we both looked at each other. Both of us just looked at each other and said, well, this isn't, like, whoever reviewed this, we just said, this isn't for us. This isn't for us. Like, I can't, I can't sit here with Jesus on the love seat and watch what's going on on this screen. So I'm telling you that because that's one of the times we were successful. Probably there's too many times in my life where without thinking, you just, you know, the stuff just rolls off the screen and you just sit there like a zombie and you go, wait a minute, what, what's going on here? I'll tell you what's going on. There's somebody sewing stuff. Only, only you're sleeping. And in six months down the road, you're going to go, where did, these, where did all these weeds come from? Do you get what I'm saying? 
How careful are you about the entertainment you allow in your living room? What kind of music do you stream off the eardrums of the temple of the Holy Spirit? How much of the material goods of this world do you need to be happy, and what are you sacrificing to get those things? These are the points, church, where the Holy Spirit wants to say, like Paul did to the church at Ephesus, it's time to wake up! Don't grow accustomed to just that back of the head, inside the cranium, drone of the culture around you. Don't get used to it. I I want you to notice this point before I move on. Please notice that in both these stories, the sowing of the seed in the field of the farmer, the people asleep when the house is broken into, in both those stories, the first plan of attack is not to sow weeds among the crop. The first plan of attack is not to bust down the front door of the neighbor's house. That completely misses what Jesus is saying. The first step isn't sowing weeds in the crop. The first step is finding someone who's asleep. Right? That's the first step. Find someone who's asleep. Find someone not paying attention. Find someone not thinking about what's going on. There. All I have to do is, Satan says, all I have to do is sow some seeds and I I can go for coffee. That life will get fouled up because those seeds will grow. The first plan of the enemy is always to gradually deaden spiritual perception. The first plan is always just to weaken and lower appetite for God. After that, it's all a pushover. Three, one more text, we're almost done. A different train of thought here, Jonah. Jonah chapter 1, verse 6. Captain comes. The captain comes and says to Jonah, What do you mean, you sleeper? There it is. Arise. That's the word Paul used. Call out to your God. Perhaps the God, they don't even know who they're talking about. Your God, the God, whatever. Call out to him. Maybe he'll give a thought to us that we may not perish. You know this old story. It's a great story. Jonah. Jonah is famous for spending a weekend in a fish's belly. But there's more to the story than that. Jonah is running from the call of God. God speaks to Jonah and says, I want you to go to Nineveh and tell those people to repent. And, and Jonah, as it turns out, he's, he doesn't want to do that because he knows that if he goes and tells them to repent, they probably will. And Jonah does not want grace for those good-for-nothing Ninevites. That's why he doesn't go. It's not because he doesn't think it'll work. It's because he's afraid it will work. And so he hops on a ship, thinks he can run away from God. Off he goes. As he's on this ship to Tarshish, a terrible storm threatens the lives of all who are on board. Ships being tossed around. 
sailors experience. Sailors do all they can do, but nothing is working. They know they're, they're doomed. And so they start, like a lot of people, oh, God. People get very religious at certain times. And they're calling out to their idols, and they're calling out to their gods, and nothing seems to be working, and nothing's happening. And then, and then they remember Jonah. And they go to find Jonah, and, and Jonah is sleeping. He's oblivious to everything that's going on. And there's something, there's something in their words to Jonah that, that I've read this story for years. And just in recent study, there's something in their words to Jonah that, that just convict me deeply. These people who are perishing, they come to Jonah. They're not believers in any sense of the word. And they say, Jonah, how can you... Why aren't you calling out to your God on our behalf? Do you hear some passion in that? Why, why aren't you calling out to your God for us? Maybe your God would do something. Call out to your God. How, how can you be sleeping when we're perishing? Why aren't you crying out to your God because we're perishing? My thinking here is nobody begins the Christian life asleep. If the Christian experience is genuine at all, an individual senses the depth of his need, the greatness of God's redemption in Jesus. We all begin the Christian life alert somehow, don't we? We wouldn't call out to him if we weren't. So we all start awake. Spiritual slumber seems to, seems to creep up gradually. And our Jonah story has one person who is allegedly devoted to God and a whole ship full of idolaters. And, and, and the pagans are praying and Jonah is sleeping. Does anybody see something wrong here? And I think there's something strange and very convicting I wonder, I actually wonder how many people who don't know Jesus in any way, okay, if they knew the light and the hope of the Redeemer the way I do, I wonder if they would come up to me, to you, to this church, and say, you know, if, if, if you guys were beating the doors of heaven down, maybe I'd be saved. you guys were awake if you guys were calling on your god maybe i wouldn't be lost i'm drawn to this threefold wake-up call from these three texts it's all about how the the beginnings how the beginnings of everything happened in the kingdom of God, for good or for evil. These are texts that call me to stop and think about 
the seeds that get sown in my heart while I'm sleeping, while I'm not thinking about it. These are words that call me to think about the things that, that break into my house while I'm sleeping and not thinking about it. And the needs of the lost in this world that go unmet while I'm sleeping and not praying about it. When I was in high school, I had, it was new then, it's not anymore, I had J.B. Phillips. He was the first guy to do like a modern translation. It just bent the whole church out of shape. Everybody, when they heard talk words, And I can remember writing these out longhand so I wouldn't forget them. J.B. Phillips, Romans 13, 11, and 12. Just listen to these. The present time is of the highest importance. It is time to wake up to reality. Every day brings God's salvation nearer. The night is nearly over. The day has almost dawned. Let us arm ourselves for the fight of the day. Oh, don't let everything happen while you're sleeping, church. Everyone said, 